Welcome to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God. Pastor Larry Sterling, we invite you to join us in a service soon. We're located at 379 Avenue A, East Point, Florida. Our service times are 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays and 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. We pray that this week's message inspires you to shine the light of Christ to those around you. The Bible says, and if you would, again, if you would, stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put on it hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Therefore, because it was the preparation day, the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that the Sabbath was a high day, that the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with him. But when they had came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. He who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another Scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. Let us pray. Lord, before we take communion, we focus on the cross tonight. And Lord, I, I know that, that tonight is a a night of, of preparation in our spirit for what you're going to do on, on this throughout the rest remaining of this weekend. And Lord, I pray that, that we would focus in and that we, would, that we would forget about wherever we were 45 minutes ago and whatever was going on earlier in this morning and all the other events of life that have, have, are so demanding our attention. We pray, God, that you would help us remove them from the forefront of our minds. And Lord, help us focus in on what you want us to hear tonight. Lord, you are, you are truly the lamb that was slain. And so, Lord, I pray that as we enter in this holy moment over the next half hour, I pray, God, that you would just transform this church. Transform us. Transform our hearts. To be ready for you. And Lord, I ask, Lord, once again, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Bible tells us very carefully the story of the crucifixion. And it, it speaks to us out of pages of history of, of the reality of my sin and your sin that this brutal event that was going to take place literally was going to be in your place. And the brutality of the cross 
is, is uh, I think there was a movie a few years ago called The Passion of the Christ. I think I've seen it once, maybe twice. I just can't handle watching it. The, be- the brutalness of, of, the, of that movie was, it, I think it's important and necessary for an adult to see that, but at the same time, it's not something I want to watch every Easter, you know what I mean? And I, I spend time, though, that, that movie and other th- images have great impact on my spirit of knowing what, what my Savior did for me. You see, there, there's a particular scene in that movie where they had taken Jesus and they had taken Him down to the whipping post. And it, it gets me every time. And when he gets to that whipping post and he's there and they pull out that cat of nine tails and all the bone chips and all the things and all the, uh, for lack of a better word, briars and things that are on this whip as they hit our Savior's back. And as he pulls that Roman centurion, pulls that, that soldier, pulls that thing back, it shreds the back of our Savior. And as he his back is literally shredded, they 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 take this whip and they they hit him with everything within themselves, all their might and all their strength. And as they grab it, they pull on that. And you see pieces of flesh begin to fly, and blood just begins to flow. This crucifixion was not pretty. It was not something that we should glorify it was in in the in in and of itself what it stands for is why we wear crosses today and so but there's a particular part of that scene about him taking the whipping that you know that within the whipping then within that moment the bible says that by his stripes we are healed and there is a moment when his Flesh begins to give out. And I think it was masterfully done in that particular glimpse that his legs buckle and he falls. And then as, as any normal human being would do, they would run away and hide and try to get away from the soldier, but Jesus doesn't knowing that it's His back that is going to be required for my healing and my sin and my pain and my suffering and everything, all the wickedness that's inside of me, the Savior takes a deep breath and wills His legs to stand again. And the the soldiers just look at Him and their eyes are amazed at, at, at the strength within Him as he prepares to get hit again because it was necessary for our healing. And then as blood is pouring out of his body, he is, if you know medical understanding about what's inside, how your body needs blood and how every part of you, and as blood is pouring out of his body and pouring out of his back and and now they, they take him, they take the robe and they throw the robe on him. And then they take the crown of thorns and they take this crown and they push it upon his head. 
And then when they push that crown of thorns, I mean, I touch one thorn on a rose and it hurts, you know, I, it's not something I want to just grab a hold of. And they took these long, these long thorned bushes and they push, push this, they shape it into a crown and they embed that in our Savior's skull. And blood begins to pour down his face as he is weakening. His body is weakening. You can't lose that much blood and your body not grow weary. As he continues to go, as he continues down the road, they put the cross on his back. And now putting the cross on his back, he begins to carry the cross down the Via Della Rosa, down the road of suffering as he begins to walk down the streets of Jerusalem eventually he his body gives and so it's the moment that his body gives there's a man called Simon of Cyrene and Simon happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time depending on your perspective and this soldier that was escorting Jesus to Golgotha and Calvary's Hill grabs him. Simon was there. He's somebody that is somebody that's a foreigner. He is there for Passover. He is there to offer his sacrifice. He's there to meet the high priest and to deliver his lamb to cover the sins for his family. And so he is there to remember the moment that God had delivered his people out of the land of bondage. And he's there to, as, as a male that is required three times a year to go up to Jerusalem, he is there fulfilling that vow. So he is a religious man, and we know the Bible identifies where he's from to tell us and so that we understand that he is a traveler and he's just not a bystander. He's somebody that's intentionally there for the festival of Passover. And as this man carries our Savior's cross, while the Savior continues down this road, the Via Della Rosa, as he continues down the road all the way up to Calvary, they get to the point of, of the hill, and they, they, you can see Simon's job is now completed. And so they, they switch backs. And so the Savior, you see, Simon can't bear the cross any further. You know, you, you can, you, there's certain things you can do for Jesus, but there's some things only Jesus can do. Bearing our sin is the only thing He can do. So if you imagine in your mind's eyes, you continue in this, this old history, they're outside the gate, outside the wall of the old city of Jerusalem right now. They're outside on a hill where people, they call it Golgotha or the place of the skull, where people were consistently crucified. And what if you were living during that time, you would recognize that the cross is not an unusual sight for them. They would, they would go down the roads, uh, the roads, and they would see the Roman centurions and the Roman soldiers. They were brutal in their in their defeat of Israel. And so, any time that there was a battle, they would line the roads with crosses of the defeated, and they would crucify them and hang them on crosses as they would walk down the roads as if you could imagine that you're on the road on the Kidron Valley in the road and you're headed up towards the Mount of Olives that is it is not outside of the realm of the possibility that along that very road was cross after cross after cross 
of those that have given their lives for Israel. And so they, they are brutal. They are efficient in their killing. And Jesus is losing significant amounts of blood. Now, now the blood will begin to coagulate and it will begin to harden and as, as His back, even though, even though it was wide open in His back, it still would have hardened at some level as, uh, as it will begin as all wounds do. And so the moment that He gets there, they take the robe that was on Him and they rip it off His body. And by ripping it off His body, if you ever had a band-aid ripped off, you know what's getting ready to come. The wound opens right back up and all the blood that had just hardened is now fresh again. He's running out of energy by this time, if you, if you are beginning to dehydrate, your, your tongue is beginning to swell and your mouth is dry and you cannot, you cannot taste anything. It, it begins to, it begins to uh, alter you, your mind. Your mind, you begin to stop thinking straight, stop thinking in the correct way. And, and Jesus is there. Keep. And he's holding on with his mind. He's holding on with his strength. He's holding on. He declares in this moment, as they've pierced his hands and they pierce his and they pierce his feet, they position him on the cross, on the ground, and then they take this this outline of uh, of a wooden. Uh, placard or marker and put it over the cross and say this is the king of the jews and so as they nail that there then at the at the moment see what they usually do roman rome would would uh put the offending person's crime right there and they would rome would let everybody know that when you walk by, you can look up and you can say, what did they do wrong? And Rome would tell you. And what did Jesus do wrong? He was the Jewish king. What they were saying. And so we, we in our mind, we, 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 don't, we don't want to think about this. And I don't know that I want to burst your, your innocent bubble, but I think I need to because you need to understand He humbled Himself. And they... And they removed his clothing. They ripped it off of him without ripping the outer robe. And they would, they, if, it was, if they crucified Jesus in a normal Roman way, he would not have had any clothes on at all. He would have been totally and completely naked on the cross. We never ever point, paint that picture. That's too vulgar for us to think about. That the God of the universe would humble Himself to that level. And so there He is. When they take the, take the cross and they lift it up and they drop the cross in the hole that they have intended for it, that dropping of the cross reignites the pain that's in His hands and His feet as it slams down into that hole. Now, it's now a struggle to breathe because now his lungs have now started to fill with blood and water because he's dehydrating and he's been beaten and so he is bruised and battered and so he is, he is at the point 
that every time he would have to breathe, he would have to push up with his feet in order to take a breath. And in order to do that, he would have to force the pain back into his feet. The excruciating pain. So most people that were crucified in this way would not speak at all. But Jesus had something to say. There are seven sayings of Jesus on the cross and I don't have time to get into them. And one day I plan on preaching a sermon series on that. They're significant because He wanted to make certain that we understood that He wanted these things said. As He is pushing with His feet and the pain is excruciating and He's beginning to fade out, He's beginning to slowly lose consciousness. You can imagine this is happening there, but He still retains His right mind. And then we arrive at our verse of Scripture in verse 28. And He says, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. You know, His body is dehydrating. His body is shriveling up. His body has lost pints and pints of blood. He's barely alive. His heart is barely beating. When he cries out, I thirst, it is a natural thing. But I'm telling you, in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit spoke to me many years ago and showed me that Jesus was on that cross, enduring that pain and pushing his feet down and crying out in a loud voice that I thirst. And he wasn't just asking for something to drink. He was telling everybody out there that I'm thirsty for you. I'm not just on this cross just to make a point or to die for a cause. I'm on this cross because I'm after a person. I'm after an individual. I'm thirsty for the, for the waters that never run dry. I am thirsty to be in a place where all people will know me and know what, he, what I stand for. I'm thirsty for all the souls that are mine because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And he says, I am thirsty. And it's not just he's thirsty for water, he's thirsty for you. Thirsty for you. Thirsty for what, what you can do he desires your presence with him you see if he didn't love you he wouldn't be there because only love does that ask any parent of any child that endures suffering only love does that and so there he is they like satan he tries to give a false thing of what Jesus wants. And so he fills, he has them fill a vessel of sour wine and they try to put it to his mouth. It is a common thing because, you know, those, those in those days, they, they would give the, somebody the, the drink that was on the cross so that their mind would start to go numb. So that they would recognize and they would understand that they would, their pain would be lessening. It was a point of 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 a help it was a point of peace it was a point of of trying to be compassionate but in reality jesus 
wanted none of it. Another gospel says he didn't, he refused it. Why? Because he wanted his full mind for what he's about ready to do. And so he says in verse 30, that when he received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Bowing his head, notice what he says. He gave up his spirit. It doesn't say, in this particular moment, it doesn't say that he just body gave in and the body naturally died. It says Jesus gave up his spirit. And then the Bible says that they did not want to leave him on the cross because of what was getting ha- was happening at Passover. And so they, they went to break the legs of the first, and they went to break the legs of the second, and that didn't happen. And so when they got to Jesus, they did not break his legs. So in order to make sure that, that he was dead, they took a spear and pierced his side. And immediately, blood and water poured out of his side. And what this, what this means is that all the water that was gathering around his lungs and all the blood that was there, then the soldier pierced him and began to pour out. And in this symbolic thing that we have to be born of water and the blood, that we have to be born of, of the flesh, but also born of the Spirit, born again. You see, you, you cannot be You can't receive what Jesus has for you unless you're born again. And so the blood coming out of his side represents this. And then the Bible says in verse 37, again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And so they looked on the one that they pierced. He gave up His Spirit for you. He had the power to lay down His life. And He had the power to take it up again. He went through this brutal process for one reason. And that's you. So that all His children can come home. You see, there are, there are days and there are, there are times that it, it is difficult that, you know, when, you, when you're faced with trials and you're faced with struggles, it's good that we get back to this place of remembrance. To remember what He did. And I brought, if you all will go ahead and go play softly here. I asked all those everyone around and all of our children and teens to come here tonight because I want I want you to remember together what he did 
and that I want you to experience in this, in this moment and just in your heart, recognize that He loves you, that He desperately cares for you, and that He has a plan for your life, and that He wants to see you blessed, and that He paid this price so that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You've got to speak it in your spirit and speak it in your heart and speak it in your mind. My Savior loves me. He loves me. So what I'm going to do tonight is we're going to take what is called communion. But what we cannot do, Brother, Brother D, will you come help me? Will you start on this side and begin to hand out? What we cannot do is we cannot ever forget. You know, our, our country was under attack. Our country was under attack 14 years ago this September. And, and I remember seeing signs and billboards and t-shirts saying, we'll never forget. We'll never forget. And I remember the days, I was, that was the first time I was a pastor of a church. And I remember that day. We were in Louisiana. And uh, it was Tuesday, September the 11th, 2001. And I remember that moment where my sister calls me because I hadn't turned on the television as of yet that morning. And my sister calls me and she says, we're under attack. We're under attack. I said, what? She said, yes, it's all over America. We're under attack. And I remember watching the news from that, that point on, the moment that you, if you were alive during that time, you remember those moments you got in front of a television and you just stayed there from that point forward the rest of the day watching everything kind of stopped in our country everything kind of started going slower we stopped playing ball games we stopped playing football we stopped playing baseball we stopped doing all kinds of things during that time Planes were grounded and we weren't allowed to fly anywhere. So if you happened to be somewhere on vacation, you had to stay there. Many, many different things happened during that time. And one of them was kept saying, we'll never forget. We'll never forget. And I remember the very first Sunday, the house was packed. We were just a tiny little church. And that was my first church. And man, we filled that place up. People came out in droves to come to church that day. Y'all went to church service, remember that? If you were, it was your church like that, wherever you were. And everybody came. Because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what, what tomorrow was going to be like. They didn't know anything. 
then I remember, and so many people cried. They were looking for comfort. They were looking for hope. They were looking for peace. And what amazed me, as people were saying, we'll never forget, we'll never forget. Before the year was up, my sanctuary size was about what it was on September the 10th. It took us less than three months to forget. And I know in our country, we, it's embedded in our minds, but you know sometimes when we get a distance and we get far from an event and we get far from a thing, we, we tend to not want to think about it, especially if it was painful. And Jesus said to us, this is my body that is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Never forget. The Bible tells us that there was a thief on the cross. And the thief asked Jesus, he said, will you remember me? Will you remember me? And Jesus was faithful and even in the midst of all the pain that I described just a little while ago, he said, this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Jesus does not forget you. On your last day, whatever day that may be, whatever moment that may be, the very last moment that you're here on this world, he won't forget you. He'll never forget. So we do this in remembrance of Him. Tell Him we'll never forget. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of East Point Church of God and Pastor Larry Sterling. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.